This is the Decoding Obesity Podcast, where we simplify, demystify, and decode obesity, helping you lose weight and feel great. So gear up for a fascinating journey through this ever-evolving field, and let's see what we find. And please remember that the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. And now, here's your host of the Decoding Obesity Podcast, Dr. Avishkar Sabarwal. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Decoding Obesity Podcast. I'm pleased to welcome back Dr. Erin Saltzman. We had her last time uh, discussing about female infertility, PCOS, and obesity. And this time we're going to be discussing how obesity impacts sexual health in men and uh, fertility in men. Before we dive into the discussion, I want to briefly introduce Dr. Saltzman again. So she is both certified in endocrinology and she's currently taking some time off to study for obesity medicine and eventually will be practicing obesity medicine exclusively. Welcome, Erin. Thank you. It's good to be back. Hi. So last time we had a great discussion on female infertility, PCOS, and obesity. And I think it's important we also discuss the sexual health problems in men uh, when it pertains to obesity. So when we talk about sexual and reproductive health problems in men, how common is it in general population and how common is it particularly in patients with obesity? Well, it's definitely more common in patients um, with obesity, both um, having low testosterone and um, issues with infertility that can be related to the low testosterone. Um, in the general population, it's more common to have low testosterone, um, more so than issues with fertility itself. So we definitely see a bigger issue in um, the obese population. I see. So what effects does obesity have on the sexual and reproductive health in men? So obesity can affect sexual health and fertility in men both directly and indirectly. So directly, um, obesity itself, and I can explain a little more in detail, causes lower testosterone levels. And that in and of itself can um, cause trouble with both sexual function and sperm production. Um, indirectly, it's because um, fat tissue itself has an enzyme that converts the little bit of testosterone that is there to estrogen. So having more estrogen around and less testosterone, testosterone around also um, has an effect on fertility and sperm production as well. Okay. So I think you briefly alluded to how obesity would have this effect. And I think if we can just explain a little more to our listeners how uh, this happens in obesity. Why do we see that this low testosterone level, um, you know, the things that go on when people gain uh, uh, abdominal fat, what changes happen that cause people to have low testosterone? Sure. So again, it's, it is twofold. So um, it's more common in um, patients who are obese to have issues more with the communication between the master hormone gland in the brain, that's called the pituitary gland, and the testicles. It's usually not an issue itself with the function of the testicles. So it's a more of a communication issues. The stress of the body, the stress on the body from obesity causes a 
decrease in those communications from the pituitary gland to the testicles, and therefore it decreases testosterone production and that decreases sperm production. Um, it's interesting, the reason that that happens is that if, um, if the body is under stress and obesity is something that the body considers very stressful, and you can see this with other medical, chronic medical conditions as well, um, diabetes, high blood pressure, um, even chronic pain will cause this decrease in signals from the pituitary to the testicles. So when there's any sort of physiological or um, chronic illness stress, um, the body goes into preservation mode. It thinks it is not important to reproduce right now. It is more important to just survive and live. And the energy has to go to the heart and the brain and not to having babies. So that's why there is this decreased communication. Okay. And then just related to the um, abdominal fat, like you mentioned, the more abdominal fat that is around, the more of an enzyme that's called aromatase is around to convert that testosterone to estrogen. And again, there's already less of the testosterone around for the other reason, but whatever's around is now more likely to get converted to estrogen. So it's that combination and vicious cycle that, that causes the problems. I see. Yeah. It's very interesting that, you know, even though there is abundance of energy around when you have um, abdominal fat or you have excess fat in your body, still the body is going through this stressful fight or flight uh, situation where the stress hormones are going to reduce the, um, the amount of testosterone produced. Um, so, you know, this leads to my next question. Since the testicles are not affected, is it reversible? Absolutely. So what we call secondary or um, decreased testosterone related to decreased communication from the brain to the testicles, it is absolutely reversible. So there is good news. So people who can lose weight, it might actually get reversed and get better. Absolutely. And, and I try to practice from this perspective all the time. Um, people will come in or patients will come in for an evaluation of low testosterone um, or decreased sperm count, and they will automatically think that the answer is to just give them testosterone for both um, sexual health and for fertility. But that's not the best way to go about it. Right. And uh, I'm just curious, have you had patients, not just patients suffering from obesity, but like general population, patients coming in complaining of low testosterone? And how do you deal with that, that situation? Because there's a lot of, you know, I hear a lot of ads on radio about natural testosterone being available. And I, for some reason, have never really understood why somebody would advertise something like that. Um, the commercials on TV, they're yeah. all, they're all hokey. <laughs> <laughs> I see those and I get mad. <laughs> yeah. I, I, for some reason, never understood the whole concept of having those, um, those commercials because I never read about it in medicine and I was like, no. let me get somebody else's perspective as to, no, did I miss no. something there? <laughs> no, you didn't miss anything. And if you go down, you know, the supplement aisle in any pharmacy, you'll see, a whole shelf full of testosterone boosters, and it's all baloney. <laughs> so I did not miss anything. Thank God no, for that. <laughs> no, don't buy. Oh, don't buy them. Nobody buy those. They don't do anything. They don't. They don't hurt, but they just basically waste your money. Yeah. 
Um, so what are the common symptoms that people would experience if they had, say, uh, male infertility or sexual health problems, uh, particularly with obesity? What are right. the things so, that they come to you complaining about? Right. So w- whether a patient has obesity or just, you know, general medical, con- chronic medical conditions, which cause, you know, similar stress on the body, um, usually, I mean, for the most part, it's usually sexual dysfunction, like decreased libido, um, and um, erectile dysfunction, but other symptoms are fatigue, um, decreased endurance in general, decrease in muscle mass, decrease in facial and body hair, and then just a decrease in the overall sense of well-being. But I would say the majority of patients come to either my attention or attention of their from their primary care physician based on on sexual dysfunction. That's what leads to the the testing. Um, and then, of course, if a male is undergoing an infertility workup, yeah. that's looked into as well. Right, right, right. So it's not just about, and I know we had just touched upon this also, it's not just about having a decreased libido. It's also about having a decreased sperm count because of the testosterone levels transiently going low or temporarily going low. Because of the, the, uh, because of the uh, Because of the testosterone going low in uh, patients with obesity. Um, so what are the treatments available for patients with male infertility or with any of these sexual problems? Right. So it depends on what the patient's goals are at, at that moment. So where are they in their reproductive health life? Are they interested in preserving fertility at the time? Are they done having their family? Um, so that's, that's where we usually start. And I would say 95% of patients who come to see me for low testosterone or um, fertility issues think I'm going to just give them testosterone. And that is the least likely thing I'm going to do (laughs) for most people. So, you know, I'll start with talking about when testosterone itself is an appropriate treatment. So um, either if a patient has just primary failure of their testicles, just for whatever reason, they're not working anymore, maybe they never worked and we don't, you know, know why, or, you know, they, some men, as they get older, go through what I call manopause as opposed to menopause. (laughs) And and that, that, that can happen. And, you know, that's somebody who's had normal fertility and sexual function their entire lives and then notice their testosterone levels were going lower with age. And, and we can figure that out through blood work. But, um, you know, and again, those patients are usually done with uh, fertility in their lifetime unless they're going to, you know, get married to a 20-year-old or something like that. <laughs> and so their <laughs> primary, their primary um, issues would be like more fatigue and uh, loss of, you know, the facial hair and stuff like that. Right. They're mostly interested in the sexual function part of it, though. I mean, that's, that's the, the usual reason. Um, so so that'll be one subset of patients. And, and another subset of patients who we see with testicular failure are patients who have some genetic disorders where there's, there is um, testicular failure to begin with. And it just it, sometimes they don't know it until... Um, they have a fertility evaluation or, you know, maybe they've just been complaining of sexual dysfunction or fatigue and their doctor checks it and it's, a, you know, otherwise healthy 20-year-old who has low testosterone. Mm. And upon further testing, we see that it's a, a true testicle failure issue as opposed to a communication issue. So in patients like that, and especially if they're not interested in um, preserving fertility, we will treat them with testosterone directly. Sure. Uh, 
Yeah, and so that's that's available in. Um, we usually start with gels or patches. That's just usually easier for the patient to do at home. But we can also give it by um, weekly or um, twice per month injections. We used to do it almost like a flu shot, but now we teach patients how to do it themselves at home with almost a, a little needle like insulin. So it's a I lot see. easier than it used to be. I see. So it's primarily about treating the cause, essentially. And when the cause is actually low testosterone because of say, some problem with the testicles or whatever have you, then you treat that. But if the cause is something causing a break in the communication, then you got to treat, you got to fix the communication. Right. So I'll talk about that. So that's the more common scenario. It's actually pretty rare to see a um, primary failure of the testicles. It's much more common to see a communication issue. And so we can figure that out when we when a doctor sends a patient to us and they have a low testosterone level, we repeat that. So we make sure that that's the case. Um, and it is important for people to know if they go for a testosterone test, make sure that they do it sometimes between 7 and 9 a.m. because otherwise it's not accurate. So people will come to me and they'll say, oh, my testosterone was low in my labs. Well, what time did you have it done? 5 p.m. Well, okay, let's go and do it again at you know, in the morning, and then sometimes it is normal, and their fatigue is not related to the testosterone at all. So we have to, that's that's one of the first things we do is repeat it in the morning. Um, and then once we confirm that testosterone levels are really low, then we figure out, well, is it a, testic, a testicle problem or is it a communication problem? And we can tell based on lab results. So if we confirm that it's a problem with the communication, and again, that's the usual cause, then we have to figure out, okay, well, why is that? And can we do something to fix that so that the body will restore the natural communication? So we do some testing. Um, We usually get an MRI of that um, master gland, I call it, in the brain called the pituitary, just and just to make sure that there's nothing going on structurally. And there's usually not. And I sure. usually assure patients, we're just doing this to cross that off the list. You know, sometimes we pick up some benign yep. tumors that are, mm-hmm. you know, taking up space, and then that's a separate issue. Um, but if we confirm that it's literally just a signal issue, we can try to address what, what is causing that right. and deal with those issues. And then we can also... Um, there are some other things we can do to get the testosterone levels elevated while we figure that out. So in, in patients with obesity, um, I guess that becomes a cause for this communication gap, correct? So yes. treating the, the obesity would be the primary modality of fixing this gap um, or this, this break in the communication. And um, that would you know, be with uh, either with medications or lifestyle changes or surgery or whatever have you. And right. that would be a completely different um, scenario than just taking in testosterone, correct? Correct. And and something that's important to remember is that um, very commonly obstructive sleep apnea goes hand in hand with obesity and obstructive sleep apnea by itself also is a stress on the body that will cause decreases in this communication between the pituitary gland and the testicles. So if you can treat the sleep apnea and you can lose weight, that's like two things you're taking care of. And we see that sometimes just fixing those things makes a huge difference. So do you think um, other things, like we talked about stress, you know, there are so many other things like psychological stress that may occur. There, that does go come along with obesity as well, especially, you know, with the 
public shaming and mm-hmm. you yourself feeling um, yeah. depression, ashamed, d- depression, the of, just depression. Absolutely. So do you think uh, uh, things like relaxation exercises, meditation or whatever, do you think any of these activities have any role in in patients who have um, infertility because they do have data supporting a decrease in the stress levels? Yes, I mean, I think it can because, again, increased stress causes increased hormone called cortisol, which can also negatively impact um, the communication between the pituitary and the testicles. But it, it, that's less of the equation. The, the bigger part is definitely to treat the physiologic part, the sleep apnea, the obesity, and then things like the, the diabetes and hypertension or Chronic pain, that's a huge one that we see. Chronic pain itself, even in a, in a, a thin person, can create the same, if not worse, signal issues than obesity does. Um, any particular foods, or per se, that you, you think um, have an impact on the sexual health, per se? For example, we know that there's data for not, not related to uh, sexual health, but say cardiovascular health. We have, for example, data for polyunsaturated fatty acids. Um, do we have any data pertaining to uh, male infertility or um, hypogonadism or whatever have you in terms of effects of diet? Not that I'm aware of. I mean, I think in general, just you know, creating a, a healthier cardiometabolic state in general will help improve it naturally. So, you know, whatever needs to be done to you know keep blood sugars down and keep cholesterol down. It, you know, th- that's going to just help because it helps the, the cardiovascular status and takes that stress off. But I don't think that there's any um, direct link between anything dietary and testosterone levels. Sure. Yeah, but I think uh, the important thing is, like you mentioned, taking care of these other problems yes. that occur. For example, even diabetes, you have these problems with the vessels wherein there can be uh, narrowing of the vessels itself, and that itself leads to erectile dysfunction. And, uh, you know, get, getting that into control is very important for patients who are suffering from um, erectile yes. dysfunction and diabetes, for example. And I actually studied that during my fellowship as well. Um, it's, it's interesting because the um, erectile dysfunction is definitely related to the low testosterone, and you're right, the the vascular health is huge. So um, we we actually looked at medications like for cholesterol. So we did a, st- a study with Lipitor mm. and, and did a, he- a sexual health study with that, showing that just controlling cholesterol and just the um, antioxidant effects of lipid medications helped erectile function oh, wow. independent of testosterone levels. So that was interesting. We also know that certain medications for blood pressure, like um, um, ACE inhibitors and um, ARB medications, so things like lisinopril or um, losartan, that those things for blood pressure um, help um, erectile function as well. So we definitely look to try to use medications that will help and not hurt yeah, sexual yeah, I think in these, in I these think when people talk about cardiovascular health, they usually are thinking about the heart, but they have to understand that uh, the male private parts are also a very vascular organ. I actually use that for ammunition when I speak to some young patients who who don't have the bigger picture. They feel great, and you know they don't understand the end game of you know staying on top of things like their blood pressure and diabetes and weight. 
And, you know, if I talk to a patient about a theoretical heart attack that they might have in 40 years, it's different than saying, you know, you might end up with erectile dysfunction in five years. It's 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 actually a very good motivation. And so I do talk to patients about that, about about the cardiovascular effects. I say, you know, you have blood vessels that go to your heart, to your brain and then also to the penis. So it's all the same thing. You want to make sure all of those blood vessels are healthy. Exactly. Yeah. Um, And a lot of people don't understand this, that it's a very vascular organ. There's a huge blood supply uh, to the penis, uh, which needs to be maintained for uh, proper sexual health. And I don't know if um, it's the interesting thing about how medications like Viagra were discovered. You know, you know yeah. about that. How it was actually it's a it's a heart medication. Yeah. It's a it's a blood pressure medication, and had just you know happened to have a great side effect. So <laughs> yeah. that's actually you know patients who are on medications like that for certain types of hypertension, usually um, from the lo- related to lung disease. Um, right. That's a great medication to be on for sexual health. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely doesn't hurt. <laughs> they they um, they sell it under a different brand name for the pulmonary hypertension than they do for right. for the for the Viagra. It's all it's it's but all it's the same medication. Yep, it is and sil- you know what? We actually we've started prescribing generic sildenafil rather than making patients pay right, right, a right. lot of money for brand Viagra right, or right, Levitra. Right, right. It works the same. <laughs> so any lifestyle changes um, other than, you know, the general lifestyle changes with regular exercise, stress reduction, yeah. uh, weight I, management, anything else that people need to concentrate also just, on? Just sleep, good sleep hygiene, you know, like you're talking about, any way you can reduce stress. Um and, you know, those are the the major non-medical things that can be done. I mean, obviously, if, if sleep apnea is diagnosed, to um, treat that while doing things like losing weight, which will hopefully get rid of the sleep apnea. Right. So, um, but that's a huge thing. I would say I, I send, you know, over 90% of people who come to see me for low testosterone for a sleep study. I've wow. diagnosed more sleep apnea than I've diagnosed infertility. I think it's one of the most underdiagnosed yeah. um, problems is sleep apnea, and mm-hmm. especially in patients who have obesity because it's so yep. rampant in them. And, you know, one other thing I'll mention is that, um, you know, I like to approach it from a let's figure this out and try to fix underlying problems because if we, if I prescribe testosterone, I'm actually going to shut down those signals from the pituitary to the testicles. And then if for some reason you want to try to reverse it, it's a big process where you have to stop it and then you feel horrible until the signals wake up again. So we really try to have people make the changes that will help treat the medical problems, um, you know, decrease the risk factors. And that way the signals can increase by themselves while that's happening, though, we can also, there are some medications we can use and offer to boost the signals. So that was one thing I wanted to mention as well. So we've, we actually use medications that, it's the same medication that we use to induce ovulation in women with PCOS, believe it or not. So again, it's the same thing. We're trying to boost the signals in women to produce an egg and ovulate. We're trying to boost the signals to increase sperm production. So a medication called um, Clomid, that's a very popular one for ovulation induction in women with with um, yeah. uh, syndromes like PCOS, um, we use that a lot now in men who have a problem with the communication. 
from the pituitary to the testicles. It works really well. So that's usually the first thing. If there's no reason they can't be on it, um, I counsel the patients, especially if they're interested in fertility, um, let's try that. Let's While you're losing the weight, while we're treating your diabetes, while we're sure. treating your sleep apnea, let's put you on some Clomid. And it works really well. So yeah. that's the approach I like to take. And usually after a year, we can wean people off of the Clomid and the signals maintain themselves. Wow. So that's a nicer way to approach it yeah. because then you're not committed to testosterone for the rest of your life and you don't affect fertility. I would counsel people to see you know, somebody who specializes in hormonal issues. Um, it could be an endocrinologist. It could be a primary physician who, you know, has a good understanding of it. For men, it could be a urologist. So um, I, it, that is better than going somewhere where they'll offer, you know, an injectable testosterone pellet and you have no idea what's being put in your arm and how long it's going to last. It, it you know, true. it could have, it could have, um, you know, it could cause problems. Yeah. I think that was very interesting and very informative. Thank you so much, Erin, for sure. joining me again on this amazing discussion about male sexual health. Uh, listeners, if you like this episode, please drop us a review or a comment. Tell us what you've loved and what you want to hear more of. I would love to make episodes around what you would want to hear. Uh, please hit that subscribe button on your podcast platform of choice to get informed as soon as the new episodes are released. Uh, thank you so much, Erin, for joining me again. Thank you for having me. Hope to be back soon. Thanks. You've been listening to the Decoding Obesity Podcast. Please remember, the information in this podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the host and his guests and do not constitute medical advice. Views and opinions on this show do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization. And that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening in. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.